Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Monday, November the 14th, 2022. We're out on the road for once. Usually we do these shows from my home in San Francisco. We've gone 80 miles north to Sonoma, the Techonomy Conference, one of the leading tech uh, networking events of the year, put on by my old friend David Kirkpatrick. Um, and uh, for our first interview, we are talking with uh, one of the world's leading innovators of electronic vehicles, Peter Rawlinson, who is the CEO of Lucid. He also has a background in Tesla. Uh, Peter, welcome. Welcome to Sonoma. I know you're originally from South Wales. You compare South Wales and California. Are they quite similar, Peter? Yes, they have uh, epic coastlines, and I feel very much at home here in the topography of the West Coast. And it's the ideal topography, Peter, for driving fast cars, isn't it? Oh, indeed, indeed. The, the iconic landscape, the uh, Highway 1 PCH, uh, this is driver's territory. If James Bond could come back to life, he no doubt would buy a home in Northern California on the coast. And he might indeed even buy a Lucid, because you have these new cars that are kind of, for, for people who aren't in the know, are, are Tesla Plus. Tell me a little bit about your background, Peter, because you have one foot, so to speak, in Tesla and another in Lucid. You were one of the original uh, designers, architects, engineers, technologists involved in Tesla, and, and now you've moved on to Lucid. What was your association with Tesla? Well, I, I spent my entire career engineering cars. It's been a passion and a, and a journey for me, and I'm really delighted and thrilled to be part of this new electric vehicle movement. Um, ten years ago, I was chief engineer at Tesla, chief engineer on Model S program, and I've been with um, uh, Lucid, formerly Ativa now, for very nearly 10 years and uh, really driving uh, the uh, advent of the Lucid Air and taking the technology to the next level. We have the world's first car which is achieving over 500 miles range. We're doing that with an advanced architecture over 900 volts and we're doing that not just by creating a huge battery pack but by creating extraordinary efficiency in the case of the Grand Touring uh, we're achieving 4.6 miles per kilowatt hour, which is unprecedented. You took me for a ride before, Peter, and certainly this, the speed is there. It's a very impressive car. But, of course, the question many of our viewers and listeners will be asking is, uh, these cars are very expensive. I know the, the basic, uh, the basic uh, Lucid model now costs about 85000 The one we just tested is, is closer to 200,000. Are these the kind of cars that are going to make electronic vehicles uh, mass vehicles? Or are they still a, is this still a high-end revolution? Well, I think it's important that we started with a high-end product because we're defining a brand. And also, as a company, to be viable, as profitable, um, paradoxically, it takes more money to industrialize a low-end car than a high-end car. So uh, our, for our first product, it was imperative that we start with a high-end vehicle, a, create a technological tour de force. And then, as we industrialize that, the technology that we develop for that can cascade down into 
uh, more affordable strata of the market. And what is really important here is first of all addressing range anxiety with absolute range per se. And in the case of the Dream Edition range, we've achieved 520 miles EPA rating and 516 with our Grand Tourer. But what's really important is that we achieve that range through efficiency because the biggest single ticket item in the cost of an electric car is the battery pack. And if we can achieve range with a smaller battery pack, that is the way of driving down costs in the future. So we start with a high-end product to define the brand with extraordinary range, a technological tour de force. But in so doing, we create, create world-leading efficiency, which means that future products can go competitive range distances, but do so with commensurately smaller battery packs. And that will drive down the cost. That's what the world needs, more affordable EVs. I seem to have heard that one, though, Peter, before from Elon Musk at Tesla, who used to work with. When he brought out the Tesla 3, we were promised the people's car. Now, I think if you want to buy a Tesla 3 with the various add-ons, you're not going to get out uh, under much, $60,000, Give me some concrete numbers and dates in terms of when we might get a lucid car or a lucid kind of car, high-end quality car that can do three, four, five hundred miles off a single uh, charge for say under $50,000. That's not going to come anytime soon. Uh, lucid may play in the fifty to $250,000 price range. But the route towards a car which is $50,000 will be unlocked by the advanced technology that Lucid is creating and developing today. And that can be licensed to others to manufacture. Uh, right now, we're achieving a little over 4.6 miles per kilowatt hour with a Lucid Air, which is a, a luxury vehicle. Um, I believe that 4.7 is on the cards in the near future. And my aim is, over the next few years, to see if we can get towards a magic five miles per kilowatt hour for a version of Lucid Air. I think that's possible over the next few years with our technical roadmap. I think it's also possible for a smaller car, a smaller family car, more affordable car, something the size of a, a Volkswagen Golf, to achieve closer to six miles per kilowatt hour within the next few years, say 2026. And that's going to unlock the door for mass EV adoption, and I'll tell you how. Because with a more mature charging infrastructure, and knowing that there are fast charging stations widely available, with cell chemistry that can accommodate cyclic fast charging with minimal degradation, I think we could get towards the six miles per kilowatt hour vehicle. And that would only need about 150 miles range with that infrastructure, with that charging infrastructure. Therefore, we could achieve the 150 miles range with just 25 kilowatt hours. And a 25 kilowatt hour battery pack is gonna be about a quarter of the cost of the typically 100 kilowatt hour packs that we see in leading EVs today. And that's gonna have a profound impact upon the cost of manufacturing such a car. Make no mistake, efficiency 
is the key to unlock the door to an affordable EV for the future. And that's what this planet needs. That's what's going to mass, mass industrialize EVs and lead to this massive take-up of an adoption of sustainable mobility cost. You say, Peter, that's what the planet needs and that's what Techonomy this year is all about, how technology can help save the planet. We've had a huge amount of information and, and conversation and need controversy about the role of electronic vehicles in confronting our environmental crisis. What's your take? What's the role in te of technology and of companies like uh, Lucid in, if not saving the planet, addressing our current environmental crisis of global warming? Look, I think that this not recognised that this is a technology race. Electric vehicles will become a true technology race. And right now there's really only one runner in that race and uh, in terms of scale. But Lucid is entering that race. And that, that runner begins with T. It does, yes, it does in terms of scale. But I believe that Lucid has the preeminent electric powertrain technology available today. And we're, make no mistake, Lucid is entering that race and we're beginning to scale. Now, uh, it's easy for anyone to jump on a bandwagon of electrification and just buy commoditized motors and inverters and electrical technology off the shelf. That's never what Lucid was about. We, the, the, the core fundamental of Lucid was to advance the state of the art of the technology to improve efficiency and through the improvement of efficiency achieve electric cars which could go further with less battery pack. And if you can go further with less batteries, it means less impact in terms of lithium, mines, cobalt, nickel, less of the world's precious resources being mined because you have less batteries to go further. You're not an environmental scientist, you're an engineer of, of motor cars, but there's a huge, as you know better than I do, huge debate about what really is wrecking the environment. Some people suggest it's our addiction to meat and farming and cows, others to driving, others to aviation. In your view, if we get the car stuff right, if companies like Lucid become the next General Motors and Volkswagens and, and, and Mercedes, how much of the environmental crisis is addressed? Look, um, no one of us can solve the big, the big uh, challenge that confronts this earth. I can do the car part. Clearly, if the energy that is used in a lucid um, electric car is generated uh, from uh, non-sustainable sources, that doesn't help the planet very much. But the beauty of electric cars is that the energy can be generated sustainably. So that's the big picture, sustainable generation of the energy from solar, through wind, through wave, through hydroelectric. And, you know, not one of us can solve all of this puzzle which confronts mankind. I, I'm privileged that I can contribute my energies to solving the car part of that puzzle, and I do so relentlessly. Uh, Peter, one of the, um, the, the great issues at Techonomy this year is the role of government versus the role of private corporations in addressing the environmental crisis. There are people here 
including my old friend Esther Dyson, who believe that governments are too slow, too unwieldy, too 20th century. Do governments have a role in this? Can governments help you or can they only hinder? We've had the whole Web 2.0 fiasco of the Googles and the Facebooks keeping government out and essentially wrecking democracy. Can government be the friend of companies like Lucid? Absolutely. Government has a role here in uh, stimulating infrastructure. Um, and we see with the IRA great strides from the US government just this year. So you're a big uh, fan of Biden? I'm a big fan of any policy that helps promote sustainable mobility. And Biden's what I that. would What I would like is more of an emphasis upon um, catalyzing and promoting the most efficient, highest technology sustainable mobility, not based upon the MSRP of a product, but based upon the efficiency by which that car moves and is mobilized. I would advocate uh, a greater emphasis upon that. I also advocate a great emphasis upon not just DC fast charging infrastructure, but overnight AC slower charging infrastructure. Because 95% of charging is done not by fast charging on this um, mythical road trip here in the US, but it's overnight AC trickle charging. And I think that that is where a great opportunity lies. Peter, there's also a great debate amongst environmentalists who have appeared on this show on the role of the international community and of international agreements like the Paris Accord um, and the role of international organizations like the United Nations. Can they play a role in, in the energy revolution that you are pioneering in part? Are you, uh, are you a fan? Are you bullish on, on these international agreements, on, on the COP? Uh, the, the, the COP events, one of which is taking place or took place last week? I think we can be unduly cynical. I think that they have their place. Um, that, you know, any such uh, uh, international um, protocol is going to be fundamentally limited in its scope. But is it better, is it not better that we uh, make every stride possible at that international level. So in, 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 that, in that sense, in that spirit, I endorse it. Peter, you're from South Wales, uh, um, an area with a, with a great tradition of unions, of labor unrest, of what people, what the left might call class conflict. Um, do you think of, you, of, of companies like Lucid as post-industrial companies? Are you in the business of providing jobs, or could you see your company, your, your cars, I mean, Musk has talked about this, maybe you never quite know whether he's being serious or not, but suggesting that his cars in the future could be built by robots. What's the role of the worker in the lucid revolution, the industrial worker? We've got a wonderful, wonderful workforce, particularly in Arizona. I have a great camaraderie and closeness to all our associates on, on the line there who build our cars with a huge dose of Arizona pride. And um, I'm delighted that we can provide world-class jobs uh, in this technology sector. And this is a partnership. Uh, we can't do it without them. Uh, yeah, we're a tech company, we're a car company as well. But at the same time, we're providing great job opportunities and great livelihoods for all our employees. Are they unionized? We're not. 
And how would you respond to the sort of initiatives of traditional car companies? They're pouring tens of billions of dollars also into electronic vehicles uh, from Volkswagen, Mercedes, Ford, uh, General Motors. We did a session on Mary Barra, for example, and her willingness to seemingly bet the company on it. Do you fear these kind of companies, which are more traditional, perhaps with labor organizations, more 20th century kind of companies? Look, bring it on. I, 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 You're I, laughing. When I, when I, 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 when I, I mentioned relish, Mary Barra, you started laughing. I please. relish the competition. Bring it on. See if they can achieve 500 miles range without doing so with a huge battery pack. See how close they get to 4.6 miles per kilowatt hour. They're not even close yet. Why can't they do it, though? These are companies with thousands of employees, billions of dollars of research money. A lot of it is absolute philosophy at the core of the company. Uh, I lead Lucid, I'm an engineer, and we're engineering-led operation and organization. And we're absolutely hell-bent and committed to innovation. Now, a lot of that can come from a methodology by which the company operates and its priority set. We spend our money on research and development. We recognized that electrification is not a commodity, commoditized business. That we recognize that you can't just buy electric motors off the shelf that are world class. You can't just buy inverters. We can't kludge together a whole bunch of commodity items and create some Frankenstein vehicle. If we really want to change the world, we need to advance the state of the art. So there was an absolute core commitment within Lucid that I made to bring in and attract the best engineers I could find, motivate them that we're going to change the world, we're going to make a car that no one else has ever achieved before. And we were just hell-bent on doing that. And the result is the Lucid Air. And the, the, the next result of that is going to be uh, the Lucid Gravity, our first SUV, which will reach production in our Casa Grande factory in Arizona in 2024. And I'm really pumped that Project Gravity, the SUV, will be absolutely seminal as a product. And the world has never seen a true sports SUV with extraordinary range, handling, vehicle dynamics, inter incredible interior space and practicality and great aerodynamics, just the whole package. And it's really the embodiment of everything that we've learned that we're bringing together for that project for 2024. Well, 2024 is just around the corner. I'm not gonna make any jokes about the gravity-defining quality uh, of, uh, of the new gravity. But in the long run, Peter, beyond 2024, if we look at 2030, 2040, 2050, hmm. are self-driving cars, electronic or otherwise, are they inevitable? I think that self-driving cars are ultimately inevitable. But I think the enormity of that challenge has been completely underestimated. I've been saying this for the last five years, when others have been promising fleets of robo-taxis, I have been the voice of um, kind, of, kind, of a, kind of a bearish uh, viewpoint. Now, it's an inevitability that will happen, but let me tell you, it's not going to happen any time soon. Best estimates for a, a proper level 5 self-driving car is 10 years away. And it's multi, multi billions of dollars of, uh, uh, of investment with 
a far from guaranteed uh, uh, promise of realization for any individual company. It ain't going to happen soon, but ultimately it will happen. When we talk about the long term in Silicon Valley, you know as well as I do, when people talk beyond 10 years, they're basically saying they have no idea. Would you be willing to give time frame, 20 I, 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 really, I really don't know. What, what I'm hell-bent on is growing Lucid as a company because the impact we can have upon the world is profound. We want to get to half a million cars a year, uh, late mid-decade, and really push. My vision, my dream is to reach a million cars a year by 2030. Now, I know that seems like an impossible dream, but two years ago, we just had one prototype. One year ago, we just made a handful of cars to deliver to our very first Dream Edition customers. Um, now, we're, we, we recently announced we're making over 300 cars in a week, and we're on that trajectory now, and it's growing weekly as I speak. So, you know, I'm very, very bullish about the prospects for our company, particularly when we add uh, the, the, the air touring and the air pure to the range. Uh, we've started manufacturing air tour, uh, touring. Pure is coming this year. And then we supplement that with Project Gravity in 24. And this pro provides the platform for a phenomenal future for the company. Busy, busy, Peter. Finally, what do you do when you're not designing or driving your electronic vehicles? I hope you do some reading or watching movies. What do you enjoy outside uh, the office? I kind of live in the office of the factory. No it's, books? It's Nothing simple. like that? No music from South Wales? Well, well play piano and guitar. But, uh, rugby? Hardly any time. I used to have a 12 for rugby. Uh, the, but the, old, the older I get, the better I was. Thanks so much for watching this Keenon show. I hope you were inspired in some way. I hope you found it interesting. And if you want more of these kinds of shows, you need to subscribe uh, to the podcast uh, on the Apple or, or, or CastBox or Spotify platforms. All major podcast platforms carry the Keenon show. Or you can also watch live uh, on my Twitter page, uh, my LinkedIn network, uh, or on LitHub's uh, Facebook Live page. Um, I also hope you'll decide to follow me on Substack. Uh, I have uh, a newsletter on Substack in which I develop and expand on a lot of the themes we discuss in the uh, Keenon show. And I hope you'll also follow up with me personally, uh, perhaps uh, to give suggestions for future shows. You might email me at a.keen at me.com, or you may also email me with suggestions about potential guests. I'm very open, uh, very eager, in fact, to have requests, ideas of, of people with interesting new books and projects, which I need to talk about. So thanks so much again for, for, for watching Keenon. I'm thrilled that you're a member of our community and I'll look forward to hearing from you in the not too distant future.